Hello, Padrishners. Greg Boyd here, senior pastor at Woodland Hills Church, and I'm here to kick off our annual Sustain campaign. If you've tuned into our service for any length of time, you'll be familiar with this. It's the time of year when we ask you to consider financial support for our church. It's an absolute reality that we couldn't do the things that we do without your support. Sustainers, those of you who have signed up for regular contributions to Wilden Hills Church, you guys make up almost 10% of our budget. And we're pretty frugal around here, so, that, so we would have to make significant cuts without you. So thank you. Thank you so much for following along with our teachings and for your faithful support. We really appreciate it. Now, maybe you're new to this sustain thing, or maybe you've heard about it before, but you've never really jumped on board. Either way, I hope this year you'll participate. It's really simple. Just go to whchurch.org sustain and sign up for our regular giving of any amount. As a thank you, we'd like to send you one of this year's snazzy sustained t-shirts after the campaign's over. Our creative team always does a real cool job on those. You can learn more about this at whchurch.org sustain. Our goal this year is to have 400 sustainers. And if history is any indication, a bunch of those will come from current sustainers. But we still need new folks too. Again, all the details are at whchurch.org sustain. We really hope you'll decide to help us out in this way. Now that the commercial's over, thank you, Jesus. I hope that you'll enjoy this message from Oshita Moore, our outreach and teaching pastor. I'll be back next week. See you then. God bless. I have to be honest with you, though. Those kind of games really stress me out. <laughs> for all the reasons, it probably stresses some of you out. But for me particularly, I am partially deaf in this ear. So um, up until, from around toddlerhood until around seven years old, I had chronic earaches. And so I was in and out of the hospital having my ear looked at and dealing with the pain in my ears. And I had tubes put in my ears twice and was still struggling from ear infections. And, um, and so upon, at the third time, our doctor suggested to put tubes in my ears, he decided to just do a quick uh, hearing test to see how I'm doing. And it was at that point that we found out that I am partially deaf in this ear. So if I close this ear, it sounds like I'm underwater. And so for most of my life, I kind of adjusted the way I, I lived my life trying to only hear from this ear, partially hearing from other people. I did get a hearing aid when I was nine years old, but it kept going off in class and I was super embarrassed, so I lost it. My parents are not very happy about that. But I never really got another hearing aid. I just learned to just figure it out. And so when my kids were little and they would have their friends over, we used subtitles on our TV all the time because I, my husband got tired of me asking, what did they say? And so when my friends' kids would come over and they would see the subtitles, they would say, wow, your mom makes you read like all the time. <laughs> They'd be like, yes, she does. Yes, she does. She's also deaf, but yes, she does. Um, when I meet someone new and I recognize that they're soft-spoken, I tend to lean in to kind of hear. And I am so sure this person thinks that I have personal space issues, and I don't. I just want to be their friend, and I can't hear them. But it gets particularly tricky when my kids learn the art of sass. And so um, if they, they've learned that if they want to sass me, all they have to do is just do it as they're walking away because I can't catch it. So it's really great when my husband's in the room because he'll hear them sass and he'll say, what'd you say about your mama? And then I'm like, oh, I need to handle my business. <laughs> this sermon series, Listen Up, is kind of like how I've had to navigate life. For many of us, we struggle with hearing God. Maybe we're partially deaf or we're completely deaf when it comes to hearing from God. We don't know what God's voice sound like, sounds like or at a point in our life, we knew what God's voice sounds like and it doesn't sound the same for us. For some of us, we have 
full, complete, and total hearing, but we are terrified of what God would say to us if we actually start listening. So we walk around like, la, 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 no, thank you, God. But this sermon series is designed to help us tune our ears to the voice of God so that we can be, as Jesus says, people who have ears to hear. So today's sermon, we are going to look deeply into a passage that you've heard Greg bring up a couple times throughout this sermon series. Greg has brought up the still, small voice of God. Last week, he described it as the sound of silence. Well, we're going to get into that passage, and we're going to look deeply in that passage to give us clues and guidance on how we can tune our ears so that we can listen up so that we can have ears to hear. And so I've entitled today's sermon, Everyday Whispers of Encouragement, and hopefully by the end of this ser- sermon, you will know what that is about. But I think it's appropriate that we start a sermon on prayer by praying for illumination, so will you join me for a moment as we ask the Spirit to illuminate this message for us. Holy Spirit, our great comforter, our helper, our revealer of the love of God and the true character of God, we thank you that you are in this room. And we thank you that we got to reflect as we sang on who you are and who God is. And so I pray that as we dig deeper into this passage to understand the voice of God, that you make that voice unique and special to each one of us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you and helpful to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. So like I said, we're going to get inside of the passage where Elijah experiences the still small voice of God. But before I do that, I kind of need to back up and give you some context to about about what's going on in Elijah's voice before he hears, or Elijah's life, before he hears the still small voice of God. So Elijah's story is found in 1 Kings, and 1 and 2 Kings uh, is basically the the story of uh, Israel as they have kings who consistently turn their hearts from God and introduce ways of worshiping to the community that that made it harder for the people of Israel to, to connect with God and to worship God in spirit and in truth. These kings were corrupt, oftentimes self-serving, and they were definitely not interested in living out any kind of values that honored God or loved God and, and inviting others to do so. They often married with different rulers who worshipped other gods, and so those, the worship of those gods were introduced into Israelite way of living. And so God is watching these kings make these consistent choices. And so there's part of of 1 and 2 Kings where we're seeing the king's choices, but we're also seeing the prophets who God keeps sending over and over to every king to, to remind them of who they are and the choices that they should be making. These prophets, their, their spiritual gift, their one job, if you will, was to hear from God and then proclaim to the king and the people of Israel the way that they should be living, the way that they should be going. God was consistently sending prophets over and over again, sometimes in the hundreds. One time in scripture, one of my favorite times of seeing God's relenting desire to help his people hear his voice and know him better, some prophets of God were executed And so uh, another prophet gathered about 100 of them and put 50 in each cave and cared for them with bread and water 
so they can continue living and they can continue hearing from God. And so God desires, desired for his people to hear him and to know his voice and to turn from their ways. And so at this point in Elijah's life, Elijah's main king, who he's always proclaiming truth to, is King Ahab. And King Ahab was married to Jezebel, who introduced worship of Baal and, and Asherah. So there was prophets for each of those, um, those false gods. And so Elijah, deeply offended, Elijah, knowing the true way of God, was constantly speaking to Ahab and calling Ahab to account. So much so that Ahab once called Elijah the troubler of Israel because he would just not stop talking. So they have this confrontation where they decide, we're going to have this out for once and for all. And so they decide to meet at Mount Carmel. And this is a story as a former VBS teacher. This is like on my top 10 stories to tell kids because it has all the things you want, like big prayers from God, big God showing up, just trust in knowing and who God is. It's a narrative. There's a good guy and a bad guy. And, and so this is a story that is common to many of us. So I'm just going to run through it real quickly. Elijah shows up. Uh, Ahab and, Je- and Jezebel show up with their prophets. There's about 850 of them. They set up two different altars. And uh, Elijah says, you guys go first. Uh, and so on the altar is a bull that has been prepared for sacrifice. And so the false prophets go to town trying to get their God to hear their voice. They're crying and, worship- and worshiping and crying out and praying. And then they amp it up to where they're cutting themselves. And all this time, Elijah's watching and even sometimes like agging them on, like, where's your God? Where's your God? And so they go through all this. And to no surprise, the false God doesn't show up. So then Elijah goes to his altar. He asks for a trench to be built to, to be dug around it. He asks for four large jugs of water to be poured upon the sacrifice in the altar. He takes 12 stones um, and lays it on the altar. And then he calls for 12 or two more times for the altar to be soaked. So, six, so uh, 16 jugs of water, or 12 jugs of water, completely covering uh, this altar. Everything was soaked. And so Elijah prays, and of course... God shows up in fire, burns up everything, dries up everything. And so the true God was known in that moment. Also at the same time, Israel was going through a three-year drought that Elijah had prophesied would happen if they didn't turn away from God. And so after this, Elijah prayed and the drought was ended. So in a matter of a few days, God showed up in Elijah's life with fire and water from the sky. And so this is the point where we pick up Elijah's story and we find that things take a, a really desperate turn for Elijah. So let's look at 1 Kings 19, 1 through 13. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, and by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom brush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. 
All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of hot water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horab, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? When I look at this experience of Elijah, it seems to me that Elijah is the perfect person for us to look closely to for how to tune our ears to God. Because in our passage today, we see someone who doesn't look like he had a win or that he even still hears the voice of God. He was so desperate, so much in despair, he was willing to die. This does not look like somebody that just had two major wins for God, does it? This does not look like somebody who feels comfortable that they constantly and consistently hear the voice of God, does it? It looks like someone who was utterly afraid, utterly disappointed, and utterly lonely. So even after Elijah had this huge win for God, Jezebel promises to kill him, so Elijah runs for his life. And this is when we get to see the unique ministry of the Holy Spirit that so profoundly touched Elijah in his running that he had a deeper, more intimate relationship with God. In our passage today, it seems to show that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is a deeply loving and caring one for us. For in the times where we feel afraid of God, when we are disappointed in God, and we are lonely or as if we are wandering away from God. It seems to support what we know about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a third person of the triune God. Augustine suggests this analogy for how we can picture God. That the Father is the lover and that the Son is the Beloved, and the love is the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit ministers to us to show us God's personal presence with us and reveals God's loving nature to us. But this is not often the case for many of us. Many of us feel so deeply disconnected from God, and we don't get to experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit as one that lovingly cares and comforts us. But Jesus tells us that this is one of the primary ministries of the Spirit. When we feel disconnected from God and find it difficult to hear his voice, Jesus says we have an advocate, the Holy Spirit, our comforter. 
John 14, 26 says, But the Comforter who is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. And so we see in this in, in engagement between Elijah and the Spirit of God, the, the loving nature of God. Elijah experienced it firsthand. And as we look deeper into his experience, we can learn how to allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us so that we can listen up. Now, why does this matter to us? Why are we spending so much time reminding us ourselves as a community and encouraging each other to listen up to God? Because the Spirit moves in us so that we may have Christian maturity. Christian maturity no longer looks for proof that God exists because we live and move and breathe every single day aware of his beautiful presence. So Elijah's encounter with God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we see some very practical things so that we can be aware of the beautiful presence of God in our lives every single day. So the first thing that we see in Elijah's encounter is that when we're ready to listen up, the Spirit comes alongside to remind us to take care of ourselves. And so I think it's really interesting when I look at this story in Elijah's life that twice the Spirit of God reminded Elijah to get up and eat. I heard one rabbi said that this was the very first account of angel food cake we see in the Bible. <laughs> because the Lord himself provided sustenance for Elijah. We, kingdom people, are attempting to do something brave and courageous. We are attempting to practice a spiritual discipline in physical bodies. So that means we have to take care of these physical bodies. I love that the Holy Spirit came first to say, you are a human being attempting to connect with the divine, so it's I am going to take care of your physical needs. Sometimes, the simple fact that, we are, that we're hungry or that we're stressed or that we're dealing with chronic pain keeps us from fully focusing in and listening to God. Sometimes you're falling asleep while you're praying, not because you don't love God, not because you don't want to listen, but because you really do need a nap. And so I think that is deeply important for us when we attempt to listen up to God, when we want to tune our ears to God, if we want ears to hear from God, that we take care of our physical bodies. It makes me think of an encouragement that I received from my youth pastor. I, I attended the Assembly of God Church, and they were so good at helping us grow as spiritual warfare prayer warriors. I mean, we were quoting scripture and rebuking Satan and marching around. We, we were doing the hard work. But I remember during one of these prayer gatherings, our pastor got, our youth pastor got up and he said, hey, you know, some of you, if you need to go home, go home. Like, you've been here a long time, go home and take a nap. Because the times when you are most susceptible to the attack of the enemy is when you're tired and when you're hungry and when you're disconnected from people of God. So if you need to go home, take care of yourself. It makes me also think of something that my husband and I do when we are counseling a younger couple something that we learned in our own uh, marriage counseling. So whenever we meet with a couple and they tell us that they are going around the same conflict over and over again, they just can't seem to hear the best of each other, the dynamic between them is really funky, we say, when do you talk about money? Like, 
what time of day? When do you do it? And it's usually at, when, at the very end of a week when they're both so tired, but they're just like, oh, we've got to balance the checkbook. Or when one of them is, is on their way out and, and one of them says, oh, I, that reminds me, I need a da-da-da, and they just don't have time, and so they get into an argument. And so we, we, we ask them, you know, pay attention to the dynamic between you. Pay attention to where you are and the times that you're having these conversations because you are trying to build this beautiful intimacy with each other in human bodies, and so you need to take care of yourself. How it came up in our marriage was... My husband jokes, he says, at 9 o'clock, I turn into a pumpkin, and I tell him, at 9 o'clock, you're ready to go to the ball. Because our energy levels are so different at 9 o'clock at night. And so our marriage counselor said, don't talk about hard things after 9 o'clock. The dynamic between you guys is more important than you trying to get that one last conversation in. If paying attention to our dynamics in these physical bodies with each other is important, how we feel, the times we're having these conversations, what's going on in our physical bodies when we're having these conversations. If that's something important to consider in our interpersonal relationships, then how much more should we consider it when we're trying to deepen our relationship with God? And so I love that the Holy Spirit starts in this deeply practical thing because we can all kind of take stock about how we're caring for our bodies so that we can listen up a little bit better. The next thing that we learn in Elijah's encounter with the ministry of the Holy Spirit is that when we're ready to listen up, the Spirit invites us into wilderness to give up distractions. The Spirit led Elijah into the wilderness. I know for many of us, when I say wilderness and we're talking about prayer, it looks like a bunch of different things. It looks like we've spent a lot of time praying and it feels like our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Sometimes it feels like we're praying and we're praying and we're not receiving any kind of peace. We're even more frustrated because we've spent so many, so many hours praying about the same thing. Maybe it's you're wandering and you're, and you're praying and you're not even 100% sure of this beautiful picture of God that looks like Jesus. And so you're praying, but you're, you're, at the same time, you're a little bit mistrustful. And so that's what your wilderness feels like. What I want to encourage you is that the Spirit leads us into seasons of wilderness so that we can give up distractions. In the same way that the Spirit led Elijah into the wilderness. And I think this is important for us because many of us have, have learned to be afraid of acknowledging when we were in wildernesses or seasons of wilderness. Some of us have felt like we did something wrong or maybe God is not truly who God is. And so we don't want to admit to others, and we don't want to even admit to ourselves, and definitely not admit to God, that we feel like we're in a wilderness. But I think that God desires to know us deeply in the wilderness. Look at Elijah in the wilderness was not Elijah who had two big wins in front of all of Israel. Elijah was not Elijah running from Jezebel because he made her angry. Elijah wasn't even Elijah who had to take care of his servant, who he sent on. Elijah was just Elijah, and God was God, and there they could go deeper. One of my favorite authors, Jonathan Martin, reflects on his own wilderness. He was a pastor, and he got a lot of his life and identity from the spiritual work that he was doing. And then when, when those opportunities to be a spiritual leader were no longer available to him, he felt so deeply disconnected from God, and he acknowledged that he was in his own type of wilderness. And he says of this wilderness so fondly, he reflects back on it and says, 
God hadn't drawn me into the wilderness so I could attempt to prove myself to him with religious activity instead of the more secular activities I indulge in to prove myself to everyone else. He brought me away from the hustle and noise so I could demonstrate my spirituality. He hadn't brought me away from the hustle and noise so I could demonstrate my spirituality to him. No, he brought me out to allure me. He didn't want my performance. He wanted my attention. Might I submit to you that God is bringing you out of the hustle and the bustle of the noise, not for your performance, but for a deep personal relationship with you. That God doesn't want you to demonstrate your perfection or prove your worth. He doesn't want you to get caught up in all of those other ways that you're connecting to others and hearing from others. He wants you to get away and hear directly from him. In my own season of wilderness, I attended a, a women's conference, and part of the perk of, a, of registering early at this conference was you could meet with a spiritual director. And basically, a spiritual director is somebody who is trained to sit and help you listen to God with you. So you'll sit and you'll process maybe one idea or one thing that you're dealing with, and they'll listen for cues and pictures, and, and then they'll process it back with you and say, hey, I think this scripture might be encouraging to you, or you might want to reflect on this more or try this so I was with this spiritual director, and I was explaining to her in my own uh, wilderness and how I was feeling disconnected from God. And I kept using, like, n- nature references. I was talking about flourishing and flowers and trees and, my, and how much I love the dog park and all these things. And she said, hey, you might be disconnected from God right now because everything in your life that you've told me, you have small kids, and so when you go to the park with them, you're never really at the park. You're like always watching to make sure they're okay, and you are at home with them, and you're in the grocery store, and you're wandering Target. Target is great, but it's not, you know, you're feeling disconnected from God, and Target is not your holy place. And so she was saying, maybe you just need to get out and be in nature with God for a while, and you might Find that God has been waiting for you in nature. And it was like night and day. I went home and I started putting live plants in my house because I connect with God in nature. And in Boston, you can't always get out because the weather doesn't always agree with you. And, and then I started going out and intentionally leaving my phone at home and walking in nature and walking around park, the park and just say, God, I am just giving you these next 20 minutes out in nature just you and me. And like I said, it was night and day in my spiritual formation. So what is your wilderness? What can you give up? What hustle and bustle can you leave to make space to hear from God? And if you are in a wilderness, don't disdain it, but embrace it and say, this is God's authentic bid for affection and attention. So I will lean into it. We see in Elijah's experience with the ministry of the Holy Spirit that when we're ready to listen up, the Spirit comes alongside us to invite us to process our deepest pain. And sometimes God listens first. So Elijah gets to Mount Horab, and and the very first thing that he hears is, what are you doing here? And I just want y'all to know, Siri didn't give up on God. God knew exactly why Elijah was there and how Elijah got there. When God asks these kinds of questions in Scripture, It's God's invitation for us to be introspective. It's God's invitation for us to stop and slow down and examine what's going on in our life and how do we get to this place. For many of us, when we do that introspective work, we find that there's some deep hurt or disappointment or pain point that we've been holding on to and we're just so mad at God about it. 
I love that when, when God asked Elijah, what are you doing here? God just stepped back and Elijah just lit into him. Because that shows us that God can handle our pain and our frustrated words. God can handle our anger. I have had a lot of friends who, struggle, who have struggled with infertility and who've experienced miscarriages, but one, exam, one moment in my life that stands out to me the most in, in loving a friend through a miscarriage was my very close friend, Megan. She had already experienced two miscarriages, and she was pregnant with another, with another child. She had two children, but her, but her and her husband had this goal of having a house full of children, this dream of having a big family. And so when she found out she was pregnant again, after two miscarriages, she by faith named that baby Caleb. And so whenever she and I would get together, I would say, how's Caleb doing? How, are, how can I be praying for you? I can't wait to hold baby Caleb. By faith, we were calling this baby th- their name and, 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 ex- and expecting to have a life where we could both cuddle and kiss on this baby. Well, one day I was packing my kids up to meet up with Megan and Megan calls me and she says, I, I have to reschedule where I'm going to the emergency room. I began miscarrying Caleb last night. And on the phone with her, I, I didn't know what to do except start crying because here's my best friend who's crying over the baby that we were both excited about. And so we're both crying. We cry for about 30 seconds to a minute. And then I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm a Christian woman and I'm going into ministry and she's a Christian woman. And so we have to pray. Like that's what Christian women do when we're hurting, right? We pray. So I open my, out, my mouth to start praying and, and all that can come out of my mouth are all of the reasons I'm mad at God that we don't get to have Caleb and how I'm disappointed that my friend is suffering again. And I just kept saying all of the reasons why I was frustrated with God. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry if I am becoming a stumbling block for my friend right now. And so I I say all these things, and then I get quiet, and she's still, I can still hear her whimpering on the other side. And then she starts up. And she starts saying all the things that she had been holding on since she lost her first baby. And she starts saying all of the, the things that she had hoped God would do and how she feels disappointed with God and how she's been holding on to bitterness and anger with God and how this baby, this loss of the baby makes it even worse for her. And she just goes on and I'm like, okay, Lord, uh, she is getting really raw with you. So you're going to have to show up really real for her because I think I just opened up something that I don't know how to reel back in. And so we, we get quiet and... We make plans to meet up after she has had some time to rest, and we never really talk about that phone call or Caleb again. She moves away, and I move away. This is back when we were living in Boston. And so I happened to be speaking at a conference near where Megan lives now, and so she said, hey, let's meet up. And I was like, hey, let's go watch, walk around this nature preserve because my spiritual director told me to. And she's like, okay. So we're walking, and she's like, hey, do you remember Caleb? I'm like, uh, yeah, I mean, you don't cry on the phone with your best friend and not remember that. And she's like, yeah, um, I never told you this. And I'm just now realizing that this is what happened in that phone call. But I was able to get all of that stuff off of my chest that I've been holding on to God, holding on against God. And, and I just gave it to God. And, and when we hung up, like I turned to my husband and I said, I think that I'm ready to try again. Like not right now, but I think I'm ready to try again. And she said, when I got pregnant again, like I named that baby again and I prayed for that baby and I believe that God loved that baby. 
But she said, you being angry with God and trusting God with that anger gave me permission to, and I wasn't holding on to it anymore. It made room for me to love and trust God again. So for some of us in this room, we need to make room to love and trust God again. So what is that pain that you are holding on to? We have a prayer ministry at Woodland here with prayer warriors who would love nothing more than to hold that holy space with you as you vent your feelings. And so if this resonates with you, I encourage you to come up after service and receive encouragement. Plan to come on Wednesdays when there's prayer ministers ready and available to help you clear the deck so that you can listen to God more clearly. And then the last thing that we see in Elijah's experience with the ministry of the Holy Spirit is that when we are ready to listen up, the Spirit comes alongside us to hear the voice of God as a still, small voice. And this is what I find so fascinating about Elijah's experience with God in the cave. God said, I'm going to show up. And then elements that were connected to his big wind happened. Wind. And, and the earthquaking and fire. And yet God was not in that. God was in that still, small, intimate voice. The gentle voice. Or as Greg says, the sound of silence. So I just want to be clear. God can and will use the big, the splashy, those, those, those big bids for our affection. God can and will use that. But like I said, we want to be mature enough to be able to see how God is moving in our everyday lives so we don't rely on those big grand gestures of God's love and presence in our lives. Look it. If my husband, all he did was bring me flowers and bring me chocolate and plan dates and request our song on the radio, do people still do that? Request songs on the radio? If he did that, I would be like, thanks, babe. Your rom-com study game is strong. Like, you know what women want. But do you know what this woman wants? So in my marriage, my husband cultivates small, everyday ways of encouraging me that says, hey, babe, the house isn't that bad. Yeah, teens are the worst. You didn't deserve to be sassed at like that. You're more beautiful than the day I first met you. He knows that these are pain points for me. These are small insecurities that I have. And so if he speaks to those, I know that he is building a deeper, daily, more intimate relationship with me. And that is why we are listening up. Because we desire to be kingdom people who move through our lives with a deep, intimate relationship with God. That is the Holy Spirit's greatest passion for us. It's to know that we are loved and to move every single day in that love. That is why we listen up. That still small voice may look like the smaller ways that God shows up for you. It may look like the lyric in a song that you never really paid attention to until just this moment. It may look like you seeing for me, like when my mom passed, I saw elephants everywhere because that was a reminder of my mom's favorite thing. And God desired to love me maternally as I grieved my mom. Basically what we're doing, friends, is we are building that deep calls to deep relationship that is in Psalms 42. The deep of the spirit calls out to the deep of our spirits and we go deeper and fall deeper in love with Jesus. So what is the deepest word of encouragement that you need to hear from God? 
For Megan, when I asked her a similar question, what do you need to hear from God these days? She said, you know, I need to hear that God doesn't think I'm a bad mom. She has, new, she has, she has other kids after she lost Caleb. And deep in her soul, she started to believe that she was a bad mom because she couldn't carry babies to term. And because when she was grieving those lost babies, she was so preoccupied that she wasn't taking care of the other ones. And she just needed to know that God understood that she was so deeply in grief and that she's still a good mom. When I asked another friend, what is the deepest word of encouragement you need to hear from God? She and I are in the same life seasons where, where we are watching a bunch of our millennial and Gen Z friends fall away from their faith. And we both came up in evangelical traditions that said, you are personally responsible if any, anybody in your context doesn't get saved. And so she needed to hear from God that she is still faithful and that her friend's journey and her friend's walk and her friend's decision to fall away is between her and God and that she didn't do anything to make that friend stop believing in Jesus. I've shared with you before from this very stage that I suffered abuse as a young child. And so for so long in my life, I carried this deep shame that there was something inherently wrong or dirty with my body because of what was done to me. And so the small voice of encouragement that I need to hear to chase away the pain that has consistently been with me since the abuse is that I am wonderfully and fearfully made and that nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. No assault, no abuse, no unwanted touch can separate me from the love of God. These are just three examples of deep words of encouragement that, we need, that people need to hear from God. But we each have our own insecurity and deep word of encouragement that we need to hear from God. And when we listen up, that makes space for the Holy Spirit to bring that exact word that we need. That is the beauty of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So what are the everyday ways that the Spirit is showing up for you? So as I close, I want us to make space to hear the Spirit, to invite the Spirit to minister to us in a unique way. We're going to practice something that I love to do when I'm engaging with Scripture. It's an exercise called Lectio Divina. In my sermon discussion group uh, this past week, there was a couple of people that said, oh, I feel like it was so hard for me to practice imaginative prayer because my brain was bouncing all over the place. And, and so I love Lectio Divina because it kind of centers, it does, it centers me right into scripture and allows me to, to use my imagination as I engage with scripture. Lectio Divina literally means divine reading. And it's an ancient practice of praying through the scriptures. When we practice Lectio Divina, we listen to God um, through the text of the Bible with what is called the ears of our heart. Sometimes it's as if we are having a conversation with God. Sometimes we imagine ourselves as a specific character in the passage. And Lectio Divina traditionally has four different steps that you go through, but we're not going to go through all four. We're just going to go through one. And so here's what we're going to do together, kingdom people. I'm going to just read Elijah's experience in the cave for us. And you're going to hear some sound effects as I am reading. And while I'm reading, I want to invite you to take a posture, a prayerful posture. Close your eyes. If you need to extend your hands and that makes sense, do so. If you want to stand, you want to sit, you want to lay. But take a posture that is prayerful. And as I read through this, I want you to imagine yourself as Elijah hiding in the cave, holding on to that deepest pain or that deep insecurity. And I want you to listen to each sound effect. And then when I get to the, po the point where I 
where I make space for the gentle whisper, at that moment, invite the spirit in to whisper to your heart what is that unique thing you need to hear. You can write it down if you want, but I really want to encourage you to share it with somebody so that we can continue encouraging each other to listen for the voice of God. So join me as we reflect on Elijah's experience in the cave. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain of the Lord and shattered the rocks before the Lord. The Lord is not And after the wind, there was an earthquake. came a fire When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here? What is the still small voice you hear, my friends? What is your word of encouragement? Hold on to it. Remind yourself of it. Believe that it comes from a good God who loves you so very much. May the ministry of the Spirit be ever so powerful in your life. May you receive comfort and help, advocacy, strength, and hope on this journey. It's long, but my friends, you are not alone. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen.